do British people refer to butts as boots in the same way that no, the boot I think of a your car trunk is, is a boot? No, but like the trunk is like junk in the trunk. That's true. But she's got loot in the boot. Loot, loot in the boot. Oh, look at that! Yes, that, that bird is loot. Look in the at boot. that bird. She's got she's loot got the in whole the boot. Shropshire hoard in her boot. <laughs> And introducing a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing on bass guitar, it's Mr. Alex James. Who's that? Alex was the bass player for Britpop Phenom Blur, who tore through the 90s with their unique blend of cheeky rock star excess and glittery alt-rock bangers. With an up-close view of Cool Britannia, perhaps no person more typifies the playful extravagance of the end of millennium London than Alex James. And today, we'll be learning all about him, Blur, and more through his book, Bit of a Blur. A bit of a blur. It was a bit of a blur, wasn't it? I mean, he remembered everything very well, so I feel like <laughs> it, it's not, it, he, I think it's pretty, pretty clear that he did a good job. Yeah, well, it's not referring shit. to his vision or memory, it's referring to... The band that he the was The band in. was a bit a, a so, bunch of blurry bits. So what were you up to between about 1991 and 1999? Oh, I was it was a bit of a blur. So you don't remember? No, no, no. I, I was doing a bit of a, a bit of blur. You were in the band Blur? Oh, just a bit of blur. <laughs> He's been in Blur forever though. Like Blur hasn't broken up. I need to make that clear. The, there's no RIP at the end of their Wikipedia page. This is a, one of the very few groups that we've covered that is uh, continuous from their inception to now. Blur endures. Blur, blur. endures. You got to endure like blur. got to endure like blur. The once and future blur. <laughs> I've been looking forward to talking blur today. Uh, <laughs> it, it, as these come to be my the one thing that I can focus my mind on that pulls it out of the hellish sucking void of the current climate so uh i am excited to get into some uh, carefree 90s alt rock sure yeah you gotta compartmentalize so you just numb yourself to some things and leave yourself wide open to other things yes that's the, how i like to live my life and the thing that i'm leaving myself wide open today is to enjoy the alt rock stylings of damon albarn and friends and friends and and james Alex and james. james how do you feel about blur blur uh, well, I like that one song. What song is that? You know, the one song, That's song two. some type of way. Yeah. Song, the one song, song two. Yeah, song two. Song one. Song two. I well, didn't know that that song was called song two until like a couple years ago. It was right up there with did finding you out it was that called, Santa wasn't real. I thought it was called Woohoo. You thought it was called Woohoo. I'm a very literal person We're, sometimes. Yeah, song two. The song with perhaps the most uh, sing-alongable two-word phrase in all of Western music canon. More than la 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 or na na na. That's too many words. They yeah, got it down to two. Yeah. And it's more enunciating with the the, glot- the glottal palate. Yeah. Uh, everybody on earth can release a cathartic woohoo when they hear those electric guitars come crashing in. Is that the, barbar- the barbaric yop that uh, yeah. like Whitman or whoever the fuck talked about in Dead Poet Society? Yes, that's exactly right. Are that you, was the sound of Walt Whitman strolling over the hills of 19th century Brooklyn. And I feel like Walt Whitman. Woohoo! Um, uh, but other than are that, you, Chris, are you a woo girl? 
No. Are you sure? I actually have kind of, as I've gotten older, lost the ability to um, uh, falsetto into those upper register woos. I can't really hit that. Like as hard as I can go, it's probably like, you're more of a yeah guy. You're more of yeah. a yeah. Yeah, I like exclaiming a good yeah. I'm a woo. I'm a woo girl. Like when uh somebody does a tasty lick on stage and they really nail, they they're like needle needle and now, and I can from the background can just go yeah. <laughs> Good job. I appreciate your guitarmanship. You did it really well. You Keep d- going. You done did it. We're, Do it again. We're all enjoying it. You're doing great. <laughs> That's how I like to cheer at concerts. I like to woo, and then sometimes I like to go like, oh, like, oh. Like when you're watching a concert and uh, somebody on stage drops a big bowl of spaghetti. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Or like when Chris Angel does a mind freak. <laughs> oh, mind <laughs> my, freak. My mind, it's been freaked. <laughs> yeah. I was delivered what, exactly what I was promised. <laughs> One freaked mind. Oh, love, um, love to get thoroughly freaked blur. in the mind zone. Yeah, I mean, I, I like their singles. I like girls and boys. I like Park Life. Uh, I have respect for Auburn. I like Gorillas. So yeah. I think theoretically I like them. I've just never really dipped too far into their actual catalog. Yeah. I, I have a kind of late period devotion, though, to their Britpop contemporaries. Pulp. Yeah, you're uh, more with, of a pulp boy. I than love than a blur, a me some pulp. <laughs> Unlike my orange juice, which I like some pulp, I like my band. All pop. But what about the Scottish band from the 90s, Orange Juice? Oh, I do also like Orange Juice, too. They're great. <laughs> Sorry. They have a number of good songs. I had to. Uh, I, I guess that's not really... That's like a politician's way of answering things, of being like, how do you feel about Blur? Well, I'll tell you how I feel about Blur. I actually really like Pulp. I actually think that all Americans should have a job. <laughs> yes. Um, so we can talk about that. Yes. Jobs. Love them. Everyone should have four or five. So I'm going to take this opportunity to talk uh, as much about Pulp as possible. Okay. Uh, because I don't think any of those guys have memoirs. Well, I'm going to, I'll have to keep your pulpsmanship at bay because it's Alex's day. It's Alex's it's day. It's Alex's time to shine. And he, he does. Um, I ha- I I know the I know song too. Obviously, the only other blur experience I have is like I fucked pretty hard in my early to mid teens with Urban Outfitters used to make compilations, okay. um, literal CDs that they would stick in your bag if you spent a certain amount of money there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so whenever I got to really ball out at Urban Outfitters, uh, you get the free comp um, and. Out of Time by Blur was included in one of those comps, which was like seared in my memory. Because back when you don't have a lot of money because you spend all your money on Urban Outfitters, the songs so that you do tees. receive are like much more meaningful. Not the way we are now in the streaming economy. Things It was, a, it was more like a physical object that I got to lovingly wrap my arms around. Um, and... That I to me, out of time does not represent who Blur is as a band <laughs> at all. That was off of their like one of their last yeah, albums like a t- for a long time, um, Think Tank, which doesn't even have their original guitarist. So that was not a, a like a normal Blur experience. Um, so reading about what it was actually like to be Blur and play Blur's music at the time when they were the biggest. But Blur is a band that I, I'm sure you would have a similar experience to me that you're like, if you heard a Blur song. Or like knew that a song you were listening to was Blur. You were like, oh, Blur, a cool band. A cool, a cool band. A and, band that cool people like. And Not the, me, but other cool people. And the kind of band like Pulp that has the sort of British intoning way of yeah. singing. Yeah, well, he's got that like, 
that very dry mo- monotone. Daddy knows best kind of thing. <laughs> British daddy. Yes. Shall we talk about Alex and yes. his life? What's his deal? And this, by the way, we're back to classic and introducing with a rhythm section memoir. Yes. I don't know if anyone thought that they needed to care about this guy, but it turns out you really do. He's a very talented writer. One of the best written memoirs that we've read so far for this thing. Yes. You were effusing about it as you were reading it. It's, it was very dry and funny and sort of minimalist. And he has um, his own voice. Yes. Uh, it's pretty incredible. Him and Viv Albertine are like, I don't know what it is about British folks. Maybe it's because like charming, dry Shakespeare taught them how to do it from the grave. He inhabited their bodies with his silvery, <laughs> shivery ghost vibes. Yeah, but like th- these are, are punk kids, kind of. Well, I don't know what his exactly what his. Uh, He's a nice boy. Let's fi- let's let's find out. Yeah, but I feel like there's a, a strain of dry minimalist joking that goes through kind of like the British. Yeah, rock. when you spent, I guess when your like parents spent mm-hmm. their teens in like a bomb shelter, like something <laughs> kind of like trickles down, maybe. Yeah. Um, yes, but anyway, so he, Alex James, born November 21st, 1968 in Bournemouth, England. It's on the South Coast, which is the beachiest that England gets. Yeah, it's where the idea of going to the beach was invented. Yeah, yeah, apparently you did, you did tell me that. That's the, those pale, pale yeah. Brits where really the, did it. Like the idea of vacationing to the beach, like as we receive it, comes from South England in like the 19th, the late 19th century. Yeah. Um, they, there's like cliffs everywhere yeah. and he says that his childhood is basically like everyone jumped off more or less everything. <laughs> like people are just like jumping off. Of yeah, shit. It's just a big, one of those jumping childhoods. Yeah. <laughs> those are the best. Like if you grew up near a quarry, you might be having one of those living, living my childhood at negative 66 feet per second <laughs> gravity. I don't know what, gra- how fast gravity is. 9.8 meters per second per second. Thank you. Oof. Yikes. It was a pool that I did not know I had. I, I'm, congratulations to you. Um, I'm glad I went to a public school so I didn't spend any money on not knowing that. Um, <laughs> anyway, his, uh, he he's kind of normal middle class childhood. Um, he's got a schoolmate that he likes who's in a band called um, Mulberry Fut, P-H-U-T. And this band is famous for having 17 guitar players. Because <laughs> um, that's just the kind of thing where your mates keep coming around being like, oh, I heard you were still a band. I also have a guitar. <laughs> and you're like, we can't call, say Jamesy can't join the band. Okay, you're in the band too, Jamesy. <laughs> Jamesy. Um, so is he? He sees musicians. He's like, what wow. What's the name of this? Mulberry, Mulberry Foot. 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 That's a, uh, a an extremely uh, British situation. It is a very British situation. Um, he so like he sees this these cool musicians and he's like, I'd like <laughs> to be nineteen all, of them. all nineteen at least of them. Uh, walking down the streets, all snapping their fingers in unison. Yeah, uh, sw- with their guitars strapped across their back, like a like a mod gang in mod some Army. Like, yeah, late sixties movie directed by the Who. Yep. <laughs> And he, yeah, he thinks they're cool. Um, he really likes the song Blue Monday by New Order. I mean, how could you not? That he says it's, fucking- he describes it as so gray and beautiful. Um, uh, yeah, and he, so he goes to look at the synths. original sad da- dance song. You he, know? Yeah. He goes to look at synths at a music shop and the music shop somehow synchronized all the keyboards in the shop together with a MIDI so that they all played Blue Monday at the same time. It was too much for me. <laughs> too too much Monday. Too much Monday. Uh, that's amazing. I, I feel like in another life I would be like a... Uh a, a synth stop shop purveyor in some uh, gray British town in like 1983. Just 
playing around with your midi all day. Yeah, it's yeah. terrifying the local children. Yeah. But hey. being like, hey, you kids want some midi? You like Blue Monday? How about Blue Monday played 48 times at the same time? Um, and so he's like, synth is too much for me. And he just like chooses bass instead. So he like learns how to play bass. <laughs> too many too many knobs on a synth. Just enough knobs on a bass. Yeah. Two, two to four. Two to four. Um, he, he goes to Goldsmiths College. And um, Goldsmith is in like a sort of dodgy part of London at the time. Um, and he, he says of his college experience, somehow or another, the drunkest people in the bar at the student union at Goldsmith College in 1988 went on to instigate a cultural revolution. Because <laughs> ki- it kind of ends up being the epicenter of what turns out to be Britpop. His classmate is Damien Hurst, uh, yes. the uh, famed... Yeah, he put I a shark in a block of him. silicon. He, yeah, he made a big blue shark. Um, and, and and so he was like, here is a big blue shark. Can I please have $15 million? And some rich guy somewhere was like, you know what? Yes. yes. Um, he also, he made that big old diamond skull. That's when I, that was my first taste of the Hearst. Yeah. So he meets like people like Damien Hearst. Um, he majors in French, but he says, I made a point of not going to France or to the <laughs> library. I think I had an attitude problem. <laughs> um, later on when he takes his finals, um, he gets like a three on his French exam. I don't know what that means in, in British. It means v- it's very bad. It's, it's out, of like a hundred. A, oh, out of a hundred. Out of a hundred. Okay, um, and he, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they have like those O levels and shit. I don't know if it's, it's be like, true. like a three on your AP exams is like fine. That's here. like, yeah, that's average. No, um, he, he scores very poorly. He said um, at a certain point taking French classes, sometimes he didn't know the words, what the words meant in English. <laughs> uh, but he hangs out with like art students, including this guy, Graham Coxon, who becomes the guitarist of Blur um, and who Alex describes as like simply the greatest guitarist in the world. Um, he has a very high opinion of Graham uh, and he meets him when his friends No, I have no criteria on which to evaluate that. I, I the greatest guitars in the world. I mean, that's funny because all I know of his guitarist is of his guitarmanship is big, chunky power chords. Just hey, pummeling you in when that chorus comes in and in a uh, woohoo woohoo song two. Um, they, they met when they uh, all of his friends met up for some pasta sandwiches. What? You know, it's like. Art, poor is, art student food. They just is ate. there any more explica- explanation of that? No, <laughs> no. They just eat pasta sandwiches. It's just a, a little carb loaf in the middle of your carbs. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, just the like bread's cheap of that. and pasta's cheap. So why don't we put them together? Both mushy in like different ways. Maybe if you toasted the bread, toasted the bread actually could wouldn't be that bad. Maybe it's you know what it, it is. It's like having the one of those pizzas with penne on top of it. Mm. Where it seems like it's going to be too much, but then it's just right. It's just right. No rules. Just right. One rule. Put the pasta on, <laughs> on the, the pizza. pizza. <laughs> um, Graham was in a few bands, including one called Idle Vice. Good name. Good Al- name for a band. Good name for a band. Alex says the songs were mainly about beer, but some were about vodka. <laughs> it sounds like the fiddler of their day. It's true. Um, and then they meet Damon. Um, Damon... I think I think he went to Goldsmiths as well, or they just met him socially. I I can't remember. Um, Alex said Damon had buckets of confidence and gumption, and he wore sandals. <laughs> <laughs> He's, Which sounds like in in my conception of like late eighties, early nineties, he sounds like the hacky sack guy at a con- at a uh, college. Yes. Well, you know who else wore sandals was um, 
uh, when Joe Perry met Steve, uh, yes. Steven Tyler, Steven Tyler also wore sandals and he showed it Joe Perry where to buy them. Extremely risque to be wearing sandals anytime for men to be wearing sandals. I don't know before like 1993, but when's the last time you saw a man like really pull off sandals with confidence recently? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It might I'm, be a I'm, rock I'm very star anti, trait. I'm very anti sandals, especially in New York city. Yeah. New York city in New York city. <laughs> In this economy? No, there's dirt and shit all over the fl- the ground. You got to be a real you you have to make up for the sandals with confidence. I have not left the house in a non-closed toe shoe in years. I respect you for that. Um this is a total side note, also, but also most men's feet over the age I don't know 22 are a crime. Horrific. Should be pun- <laughs> that should be punished. Um this is a total side note, but I saw on Instagram, you know when you go when you take a plane and you're in a cold place and you go to a warm place and you get off the plane, and you're like, ah, oh, it's so fucking warm. Like, why am I wearing my old cold outfit? Yeah. Socks and sandals. Like, go with me for a second. You wear socks and sandals on the plane. So you're warm. Mm-hmm. And then you take the socks off when you get to the warm destination. And then you're just wearing sandals. I just like to wear a tear off sweatsuit that I then tear off and throw in the garbage as I'm leaving the plane. <laughs> <laughs> you hand it to the pilot. Yes. Say thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank here. you. <laughs> I'm like, come on. So Alex Graham, the guitarist, Damon, the confident sandal wearing singer. <laughs> um, and then they meet up with their, this guy who plays drums, Dave Roundtree. Uh, they meet up. They very, have a very drummer name, very, very drummer name for jazzy drummer name. Yeah. Um, they meet up, they have a little jam. And in the first 10 minutes of existing, they basically write the song. She's so high. First song, first album. First song, first album. Alex d- thinks he's like, I'm in the best band in the world. This is amazing. Like, I've found it. I found the, the secret. He's walking on air. He's walking on air. Um, and then, so things move very fast from here. Like, it, they go basically from zero to record deal because they they have some a little something something. It's a fr- it's a fresh situation. Um, so they they gig around town. Um, they have an early gig opening for the Cramps, which uh, Alex describes as the doors of the venue opened and 8,000 goths arrived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. But they played in this like huge cavernous hall and they turned all their amps up all the way and like they were barely making a din and they were just like, okay, fuck this. We need to get out of here. Um, this is She's So High, by the way. Uh, first track off of 1991's Leisure. It's gr- it's this is very like... A, um, American college, college rock. rock. Yeah. Very loush. Very yeah. chilly, shoegazy. Yeah. It was, well, that was like the dominant scene at the time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In England. I guess you were either the cramps or you were like a shoegaze band. Yeah. I think they were coming off of like also like the Stone Roses were a thing, mm-hmm. like the Madchester scene, which we'll talk about more in a, in a few weeks mm-hmm. um, when we talk about our next book. But uh, they also Damon has a like a random gig at this studio called the Beat Factory. Um, so they hang out there and they record there. Um, Alex says the fridge always had cheese in it there. There was never any cheese in my fridge. <laughs> More on cheese later because cheese is actually a really important part of Alex's life. I feel it's like a British thing, right? They just love. I mean, the, the pastures like the cows and all the dairy is like very fresh yeah. there. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love cheese, but I would be skeptical of it. making loving cheese like your identity <laughs> uh, is a very like 2010 
2009 era internet thing. Like I put that. Mm. That's kind of in the like, I'm so random. I love cheese. Yeah. 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 But I feel like that, that era of cheese loving was very much like gooey American cheese on like a, like grilled cheese. Like I grilled cheese all the fucking time, but not like I can appreciate the nuances of this Stilton. Yeah. Now is we're more in the same, we're more in the cheese loving era where it feels like a kind of a cheese death march. Or every other Instagram food-based video I see is just like a 17-patty hamburger <laughs> with already cheese slices on it just entirely dipped into a vat of molten cheese and then extra cheese placed on top of it. Yeah. Being like, you don't even want this. You have to have it. <laughs> this is your destiny. Mm-hmm. Also, like, you know, just burrata pokes forever. Oh, yeah. Every Endless every third burrata. video on your feed seems to be a burrata this might surgery. This be just because we both follow Thrillist and they seem to just be getting endless social traction out of these burratas. Just like a, a cheese cyst that needs to be excised oh, to be yes. lanced. Now, now no one's ever going to like burrata ever again. Thrill- Sorry. Thrillist. If you're listening, uh, diversify your Instagram content just a little bit. <laughs> Maybe think about something new and innovative like bacon. Yeah. Or donuts. <laughs> it's time for the bacon revival. <laughs> um, speaking of food, uh, blur eventually signs with food records <laughs> Wow. which is like a little Good indie segue. label and then um, eventually EMI and there originally was Seymour and then they, the labels like we need to change it and they're like fine. And they, the band writes it, a list of it, names, like the name Seymour, the name Seymour, like suddenly be like calling your band, Greg, Greg. I mean, that's a, that could be a good name for a band. I mean, anything could be a good name for a band. It's true. As long as it's a good band. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, the band makes a list of new names. The label makes a list of good name, new names and blur is on both of them. So that's how they decided on blur was <laughs> so just they consensus. committed blur out. Yeah. I mean, blur is a good band name and more appropriately blur seems to be a fitting band name Yeah, for blur. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a rare confluence. So it's surprising that they just, uh, uh whiteboarded it. Yeah. <laughs> good things can come of brainstorms yes. <laughs> sometimes um they he describes an early appearance at the bbc because i guess when you're a british band and you sign to a label like that's just your destiny yeah um he says you couldn't move for shitting somewhere Jimi hendrix had sat or sta- <laughs> or standing where a beetle had farted it's quite serious at the beeb i suppose it has to be what is there national the beeb system yeah that's hilarious um so it's around this time they they sign it's not like an amazing it's not like they're flush with cash but they're like they're basically you know like 20 year old boys and they have a record deal and they don't have to work at the grocery store anymore yeah and look a year ago he was getting threes on his french finals and now he's got a real job he (laughs) described he described um i think graham worked at a place that he called a croissant (laughs) hellhole like a Like a brag, like a shitty French, like an Obam pen or something. I just, I love the phrase croissant. Hell. I know those places. I know. I feel like a number of my friends have, have at different times worked at croissant hellholes in uh, New York. A croissant hellhole is anywhere where you have to buy a delicious pastry that should be savored with over time, but you have to like shove it in your face. In yeah. Three bites. Where it's just like where, and, and more to that. The place that you're buying it from tries to advertise the croissant as something special and pleasurable and quaint and anything. But when you are in there buying it, you are only considering it as fuel. Yes. And you, yeah, you hate, you hate yourself. Yeah. It's like one of the places that you have to run in and you're like sweating because you're dressed up for work and it's a little too hot today. And you're like, okay, I just get a, 
Le croissant comme uh, <laughs> French chocolate uh, and God, grande coffee. What do you do for medium here? Uh, medium le, coffee croissant. Le, le medium, le medium coffee croissant. Yeah, no, it's it's sad. Croissant, no, no more croissant hell holes for the boys of Plur. Uh, um, they so I should say Alex in his book is extremely good at describing parties. Parties are hard to describe well, um, especially if you've been there and you've had fun. Um, yes. I feel like stories from parties are often yes. like the hardest to tell. So he no, he we says, didn't "Come here to party. Why did you come here? Yeah, we can't. We like to party. We like to party." Um, they sign when they move to EMI and they go to their annual like sales conference <laughs> for some reason, which like, I don't know who thinks it's a good idea to bring bands to these things. I, I don't know. But he, they go to the sales conference and Alex says he drinks all the whiskey with the head of the label, not knowing who he is. <laughs> they just be like, Hey, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a corporate wankathon. <laughs> and, um, he then goes to find Damon who had last been spotted in a field trying to talk to some horses. <laughs> what, what kind of corporate concert? It must be in like the middle of, yeah. you know, Shropfordshire, England yeah, or something some at a like retreat. A dairy farm yeah. in, in some shed somewhere. That's another thing. British nice people shed. like sheds. Yeah. They like sheds and horses and fields, bales and of cheese. hay and cheese. And he says, I was really drunk by that point And I went down to the bar to have a fight. <laughs> Bruce Dickinson was at the bar. He's the lead lead singer of Iron Maiden. I hate I hate Iron Maiden. They're devil worshiping ponces. I said to him, "The devil can suck my cock and you can kiss his arse, you fucking poodle." <laughs> uh, Bruce Dickinson got me in a headlock and he sucked the end of my nose really hard. <laughs> and then they like laughed and broke up. This is uh, the poofiest fight I have. Uh... I have ever heard of. I just like, I like that he was in the is, mood. Is poofy inappropriate to say when we're talking about? P- well, I like the Arrested Development joke of like poof magazine. Oh uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I'm thinking poofy as in like two poodles fighting. Yeah. It's he um, sucked the end of my nose or socked the end of my nose. He sucked it with his mouth. So yeah, he, I just like that Alex was like, he was in the mood to fight. He saw a guy from a band that he hated. Honestly, a power move once you got somebody in a headlock that, because then, what that does is then your opponent doesn't know how to react. Yeah. Because they're both disgusted, but also entranced because your power dynamic has shifted yeah. so quickly. Apparently, also, the end of his nose was bright red for, like, days. And he, like, didn't know it. Like, I think some got blood some, vessels were Oh, I was going to say that he got some, like, mouth rash from uh, oh, no. the, the Iron Maiden guy. Devil worshipping ponces. Um, also... So he, obviously everyone is drinking a lot um, and doing a lot of cocaine. Uh, Alex says that drinking and drugs weren't about escapism. They brought me more into the world and made me feel more alive. So I think that's different than the way like our old friend Slash um, used drugs where he was basically just trying to escape his problems and not actually process emotions. Yes. Like the drug use in this and the drinking is just like, he just wants to live mm-hmm. and experience everything. So that's how I feel about substance abuse most of the time. I mean, same. So like, I, I don't know. It's, there's, it was, I never got the feeling in reading this book that like, Oh no, something's going to like turn the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I was just like, Oh, I feel like he's probably just going to do a bunch of cocaine for like 12 years and have a great time. And then like basically be done. But more on that later. He also gets into astronomy at this time. Okay. He says, my natural curiosity burned like a, a bonfire. Was, was this a delightful re- revelation for you? Yeah. 
Wait, what do you mean? Like, I didn't oh, know no. he was Not into astrology. astronomy? Astronomy. Oh, astronomy. No, like real, real, real stars. Real stars. Not star magic. No, um, different. Yeah, he said, he said, my natural curiosity burned like a bonfire. I gazed at Jupiter, Saturn, and Venus and wondered what they were doing there. <laughs> um, do you ever look up at the stars and just think, what are they thinking? What are you doing there? I well, mean, Jupiter, <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing up there? Jupiter. <laughs> Crazy planets. Crazy planets Crazy. all rotating around the sun all the time. <laughs> Got atmosphere, rings around it. What what even are you doing, Jupiter? <laughs> what are you doing, Jupiter? Sounds like a Brit pop song. Yeah. It's uh, it's yeah, like an Oasis song or something. Yeah. Uh or maybe a train song. What are you doing, Drop to Jupiter? <laughs> um, so the band needs a hit as they're kind of recording their shit. They record the song There's No Other Way, which is kind of their first little little spurt of, of uh, success this is a very bass forward bass song forward. yeah now this actually sounds very Manchester to me this sounds like a happy Mondays song it's a, but it also kind of sounds modern in a weird way I feel like bands coming up don't not sound like this a little bit I have what what bands? I don't know, like all of those like soccer mommy type bands that like play the the guitar without any like effects on it. That's I do, I hear what you're saying there. There's a brightness to this that I think is lacking in uh current yeah. current music. The sing songist and the the all the reverb. Yeah. I mean, this song sounds very, uh, you know, carefree to me in a, in a way that I think mm-hmm. kind of, uh, uh, you know, maybe carefree, but a little wistful. I think that that like is among the, the emotions that come to me when I think about like rip hop. Yeah. It's dreaming. But yeah, it's very major key. Yeah. Very major key. I can see how that's a, uh, a minor hit. Yeah. Minor yeah hit. That's, that's a song that screams minor hit. To minor me. hit. Yeah, so uh, Leisure is their first album, which comes out to lukewarm reviews, <laughs> as first albums sometimes seem to do. Um, they go to America for the first time to tour and promote the album. Um, they do things like they have these sort of press junkety things where they're in a hotel and like journalists come in and out and Alex orders six Bloody Marys at once, <laughs> knowing that the journalists will write about it. Um, he also gets a hand job from a writer from one of the like at the junket, like at the junket. Apparently, it's a bold move to get a good quote uh, from uh, the subjects. These junkets, gotta do what you, gotta do. you know, they're very depersonalized. They're doing a bunch in a row. You just come in, shut the door and being like, look, friend, I'll give you a bit of a wank if you give me something actually interest. They don't call it a junket for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that's maybe that's where it came from. Um, it should also be noted that uh, Alex has been dating this girl named Justine since his like freshman year of college or oh, like okay. senior year of high school or something like that. Who's like s- semi tolerant of this doesn't seem to know about this behavior. So he's like, it was a very like romantic young and in love story. But then like the bigger the band gets, the more of a problem that's going to be sure um, for them. Um, so she's sort of like the ghost that haunts this book in a way, uh, which is a bit sad. 
they're they're at a label party in New York, and he says, Damon and I quickly got thrashed to bits on vodka and limes, told everyone to fuck off, snogged each other, and then had a fight on the floor. <laughs> so they just like tear through America behaving so boyishly badly. Uh, reps reps scallionishly. Yeah. Rascally. But like I feel like not a lot of it's that there's a certain maybe it's about being like white British rock dudes that I feel like scuffles are just so much more like common with that like <laughs> hearing about each them. Other. So it sounds like he and Damon are pretty close. Yeah, uh, everyone is, he, is like bros. Yeah, they're all, they're all friends in the band. Yeah. Is there any like separation like you know like factions? There's like literally no tension uh, that he describes anyway between <laughs> band members at all other than like it's more like how fame wears on everybody but sure. it's there's no very very little interpersonal conflict which is kind Sounds of great. a breath of fresh air. Um it should also be noticed this is uh 1991 uh grunge hits in a big way and then the band is basically threatened with total irrelevance like their sure. sound all of a sudden this Look, sort of like rock poppy, music in America gets dark quickly it gets dark and he's they were kind of like oh shit like British artists were doing really well in America and now everyone cares about American artists and no one gives a shit about British artists um and so like the labels like can you do something more you know <laughs> just a little more heroiny <laughs> Um, can you, you're, you're kind of, uh, can we get more like, what I'm doing there. Um, they also start to suffer from this sort of weird mismanagement of their sound and image as this grunge stuff is coming up. Um, the label, without their permission or knowledge, remixes their song Bang. And this remix like haunts them everywhere they go. Um, for some reason, it's packaged. <laughs> it's marketed as Blurtigo. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's the artist name or the album name or the remix name, but... Alex sees this thing in packages blur to go and he's like, Ooh, that's not a good name. Blur to go. T I G O. Yeah. Or maybe like up like bang remix, like 1991 or something. Because that actually, uh, resulted in my first ever. No results found at all on YouTube. Zero. Ooh, let's see that this blur bang alternate version, alternate version. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have nothing to compare this to, but uh, it sounds pretty good to me. Again, it sounds pretty, uh, you know, 80s uh, British rock to, uh, to me. Yeah, those sort of like break, break beatsy yeah. kind of things. Um, Here's the 2012 remaster off of uh, their album, the album version, so. Sounds the same to me. Yeah, I don't... This... This mi- remix might be lost to the sands of time. Um, 
but it, it upset Alex very much. <laughs> it made him very angry. But, uh, you know, remember, I mean, this was obviously a bit early, but when I was at least a kid in the mid-90s, remixes were usually just setting, norm like, the vocal tracks to, like, a four-on-the-floor, like, house beat. Yes. And it was usually bad. Like, a, an example would be, like, the Madonna Don't Cry For Me Argentina remix, which my mom was obsessed with. <laughs> Um, it, I mean, that, you know, that song kind of slaps in its own way. <laughs> anyway, somehow their manager fucked up their like CD distribution deal or their album distribution deal in a way that they actually owe tax money on what they've sold. So they literally have to go back to America to sell merch. <laughs> like they go on a tour of America with like a bunch of t-shirts hoping to recoup <laughs> their losses. And they're Alex is like, when that, when that happens, you know, you need to fire your manager. Yes. Agreed. And then they also go to Japan <laughs> because they know it's going to be become primarily a t-shirt moving enterprise. Yeah. They're mo- mostly merch, merch first music second. I mean, that's what happened to kiss, but yeah, they, they go to Japan because they also have developed a fandom in Japan. Of course. Of course. Um, and they earn some money there, touring there. Alex is asked by journalists in Japan if he has a message for his fans. And he says, please stop throwing cheese at me. <laughs> he, here's the thing. He's known for liking cheese at okay. this point. He's got like he's in the press. He's mentioned his love of cheese. Mm-hmm. And in Japan, Japanese cheese comes in tins, metal oh, no. tins. <laughs> so, so that's why he says, stop it. It hurts. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of the, like Can you the, imagine the first time you're playing in Japan and somebody and you get pelted with a tin and you're like, what the fuck is it? And you look down and it's tinned cheese, <laughs> tinned Japanese cheese. <laughs> that, that becomes a thing that goes on. I mean, it's better than getting bottles thrown at you by by punks. At least you can yeah. eat it later. I would go my order of preference of, of shit being thrown at me. I guess would have to if I'm going to get things thrown at me. It would start uh, with, I guess, undergarments of the traditional things to throw at concerts. Undergarments, then spit, mm-hmm. then tins of cheese. Yeah. Then bottles. Yeah. As a to top to bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Tins of, yeah. As long as you can gather them afterwards, then, but they'll hurt coming in. Yeah. It'll feel well, good. Well, that is good. Che- that's the thing, thing about getting tin cheese thrown at you is that when it hits the stage, that's still good cheese. Yeah. It's not like just like a lump of unwrapped raw cheese. Uh, Blur record their next album, which is Modern Life is Rubbish. Isn't it though? Isn't it? Isn't it? it though. Um, This is, they also have to push back. The label is like, what if we re-record everything with Butch Vig producing? (laughs) Um, Because they were so enamored of grunge that they're like, let's just Vigify the shit. Can you fucking imagine what Butch Vig's call log looked like in like late 1991? Oh my God. I bet you got a busy signal calling Butch Vig for like the first three years of his, of his coming to prominence. His his dance card was full. Tony Bennett on the line. He wants to, he wants a harder sound. I mean, that's the thing is that it, it that is a joke that I came, just came up with. But honestly, if I heard that Tony Bennett called Butch Vig up in like February of 1992 and was like, I was I was just thinking about maybe a slight change. But that would be 100 percent unsurprising. Yeah. Fly me to the moon. Fly me to the moon. <laughs> Let me dance <laughs> among the stars. Um, Alex says that Modern Life is Rubbish is his favorite Blur album. Oh, interesting. Um, so you want to pick...
it does sound very much like they updated their sound to compete with grunge. Yes. Except for their vocals. It's a little like harder. But no, there's guitar tones. Uh, that watery guitar filter that's like very much like a post-Nirvana yeah. sound. Yeah. And the big, uh, cra- uh, you know, sludgy guitar chords that start this. But it's very British. Sometimes I wonder if Britpop just is like British people who sing in British accents instead of British people who sing in American accents. That's true. So you knew you knew they were British. <laughs> Wasn't a surprise. And all the harmonies and stuff, that stuff is not present in grunge. Yeah, no. <laughs> Thomas like has it. a very nice view. It's just incredibly British thing. It's so, yeah. And it's it's British music about British shit. Yes. Um, As opposed to American music about heroin. Right. <laughs> or just hating yourself so much that, that you, you, need heroin. you need heroin. Uh, or, you know, being so isolated in a lonely town that you need heroin. Heroin. Yeah. Um, uh, Modern Life is Rubbish does not do well commercially. I think their first two albums. Great, great album cover, though. Yeah. It's a nice picture of a train. Lovely. A lovely picture of a choo-choo train. I think the first two albums both go to like number 28 on the charts, the British charts, which is like perfectly respectable, but like not not a runaway success. Um, On the British charts. On the British charts. They go on a European tour and Alex notices that the Swedes were the first people to get Britpop. (laughs) And they, so they're at this Swedish festival, I think around midsummer time, which I don't know if I've talked on this podcast before about how obsessed I am with the concept of Swedish midsummer. Oh yeah. That's the, the event where they play the sausage games, right? Yeah. You like get together with your friends at your like country house in, you know, away from the cities of, in Sweden with all your friends or family and you day drink all day, like lovely little like spritzes and schnapps and you sing all kinds of drinking songs and you play ridiculous games and it's light out until four in the morning or like six in the morning. You play the game where you tie a sausage around a rope around your belt and then you try to pelvic thrust until the uh, rope holding the sausage uh, swings up uh, to your mouth. It's a little like cup and ball, but it's sausage in mouth. Sausage in mouth. Banger, a banger in the old mouth. Just a a banger. Um, I think Swedish Midsummer is an incredible holiday and pretty much not, not replicable anywhere else besides the, the Arctic circle. Um, but anyway, Swedish people, they, there's a Swedish festival and they test out their next song, girls and boys. And the crowd goes absolutely berserk. Alex says, and so he's like, the Swedish people, like, they get it. They get it. And then soon everyone else does too. Um, so Park Life, which Girls and Boys is off Park Life. Yes. Uh, that's their first genuine hit. What Alex says is the start of the champagne. <laughs> I mean, this it, this yeah. to me sounds breakthrough. It's, it's like they bring it all together. Yeah. You know. There's the disco influences. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like they, they, you know, leaned into grunge on the second one, and then they came back to their first albums, like what they were trying to do on that mm-hmm. more successfully here. And then also, I think, you know, with the what I know of this album, the, the lyrics and, and singing get, like, nicely idiosyncratic. Okay, yeah. You know? Like, 
you know, he's got great, shitty, good singing. Yeah. Because he's not great at singing, but he sounds exactly like him. And you're like, oh, that guy. It's cool. Yeah. He's our, he's he's cre- he's putting on an affect. And plus, this song's so cheeky. Yes. People love a good gender-bending song. Love. The The Killers, Somebody Told Me. Yeah. That's the only this one I can think of. Is, this is that that must be L- Lola. Yes. People like being confused about who they're making out with. Yeah. You know, it seems like it's currently more quote unquote in right now, but you know what? Gender chaos is always in. Gender chaos is is eternal. Yes. And I'm here and for it. And rock music has always been a good conduit for gender chaos. Yeah, it's true. David Bowie, the ultimate uh mm-hmm. the consummate gender chaosman. Um Prince. Anyway. Anyway, this song bangs. This song, this song is awesome, um, and so this is like, this is a big hit. Park Life is, you know, establishes them as like having this kind of new, fresh sound. Um, that's sort of the antidote because I mean, grunge like punk grunge didn't really last that long. Yes. The like initial sort of surge was then followed by like several years of people Chuck, copying it. It's Chuck. Chuck. It's me. It's your cousin, Marvin. Marvin Britpop. You know that new sound you've been looking for? I think I found it. <laughs> Marvin Britpop. A morning suit can be avoided if you take a route straight through what is known as Park Life. John's got Brewers Group. He gets intimidated by the dirty pigeons. They love a bit of him. Like, some of these songs are like almost novelty songs, you know, but yeah. they're just on this side. So cheeky. Yeah. It, it's almost like the lyrics, the the music is like fun, dancey rock you can get down to and bop to. And then the lyrics kind of sound like, you know, the one Cockney song in a musical. <laughs> yes. It's kind of like that. The well, chi- you, it's like the little chimbley sweep. Yeah. Uh, vibes. You have to have like a certain confidence to pull off that kind of uh, silliness. And that's what this sounds like, as opposed to the last two things uh, is the amount of swagger that you need to have a song that is truly silly, mm-hmm. but that you're playing serious and it's working. Yes. And I think Alex says like blur is, you know, the, the more they play together, the better they get a kind yeah, of like getting, happen, right? <laughs> well, the more guns and roses played together, together, the more they, hate the more they, <laughs> yeah, the more they completely fell apart. Um, you know, ha- having one album where everything goes right, followed by a album where everything was a pain in the ass to get done. This is just like every time they they just get better and better at like honing what they want to do. Um, so, yeah, you know, doesn't make for a great like tension reading in a book, but it's <laughs> nice to but hear he about. Nice for, it, for Alex. But he makes up for it with uh, with nice little uh, turns of phrases. Yeah. Little rows with everyone. <laughs> and more stories about uh, cheese and vodka. Speaking of, um, he shares. So obviously, like the band's successful, they're touring, they're partying. He says that the most important thing about champagne is that you have to eat a fresh carrot for every bottle of champagne that you drink. <laughs> Champagne is very acidic, and if you guzzle it, it makes your breath stink. So you know what was on his tour rider? A dozen fresh carrots? Three bottles of Cordon Rouge and three large carrots. And that's what, that was it. You know what? I'll try that uh, next time I am drinking a whole bottle of champagne. 
Yeah, I love, I love that it's, he's got to measure it by the bottle. Yes. It goes hard. So the band gets quite, quite famous. Um, Oasis tries to start beef with Blur. Um, they, those, those dastardly Gallagher's try to uh, move in. Yeah. What it, what it sounds like is like, you know, it's another British band who sound very British. Um, I, I think they sound like much different from Blur, but they... Uh, it's sort of like, remember when Kanye West and 50 Cent were pit against each other yes. um, on that Rolling Stone cover? And it was sort of like, it wasn't exactly like old guard versus new guard. It was more like, I guess, like gangster versus sort of like self-conscious yeah, yeah. nerd-ish. Like smart Alex. Smart Alex, smart ass. Um, and so I feel like that maybe that's a similar beef with, between these two bands. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, Blur comes off as like a little, as I was just saying, a little sillier, a little cheekier. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gallagher's, they wanted to be the fucking Beatles. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you remember, Matt, but they were brothers, they were brothers, they were uh, always fighting, you know, Sally can wait. Uh, but yeah, they, they seem more serious and like their big songs are like real, like a seriously emotional songs. Yeah. And blurs like a, a fun band of, of young boys, of young lads having a good time. Merry pranksters. Yes. I feel like maybe Oasis was more into like, ro- like rock and roll. Like we are like the, the torch bearers yeah, of rock and roll. Rock and roll band. And like, that's not ever what and Alex like, oh, says. You, you're having a laugh, mate. <laughs> having a good time. I, don't, I mean, I don't want to like map too hard on something. have not knowing the, the full story between the two of them or between Oasis and Blur as it's about to be laid out, but it almost seems like maybe like a, a, a Beatles stones distinction. But is it's as if, if the Beatles were constantly talking shit about the Rolling Stones <laughs> yes. and the Rolling Stones never like responded. Yes. At least the, this is, I mean, this is Alex's story. I'm not very familiar with like both sides of it, but he says that, uh, they they kept rising to the bait like dogs barking at cats. <laughs> like they were constantly just like trying to have at it with Blur. Yeah. And Blur and, was like, eh. And everything I've uh, read about this is that it was like a, a like serious rivalry that the press try that the press and the British music press is like particularly yes. uh, invested in, in, in this kind of thing. Yeah. At this point there, there were many, many, many weekly music, British, ma- music, British music magazines. Yeah. Which is a very particular climate that doesn't yes. exist anymore. Uh, we're, we're like invested in playing up this kind of debate and dramatizing it and making it like the battle of Britpop. Because it sold papes. It sold papes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is a uh, yellow journalism, but instead of uh, the U.S. invading Cuba, it was <laughs> Oasis trying to hostily take over Blur. Yeah. But they didn't. Alex doesn't. I mean, I guess by mentioning it, he he's sort of rising to the bait as well, but just being like, we don't care about you guys. Um, it's the strongest move. Who is she? I don't, who is or, she? No, I don't, I don't know, know her. her. Yeah. I don't know her. Uh, he basically, he Alex sleep was, sleeps with so many other women that Justine finally like leaves for good-ish or for now. Yeah. Um, he says, I love this quote, hedonism is a full-time job. To keep finding new ecstasies and not get stuck in old routines takes all of a man's might and all of the world's serendipity. <laughs> so he's just constantly seeking these like crazy yeah. experiences and happening upon them. Sometimes they just come to his doorstep. Yeah, well, but he's really at this point just committing to being, to go full time with it yeah he i mean it's it's respectable in a way you get see to really lock into a hardcore binge 
for an extended period of time. Yeah. It takes commitment. It takes dedication. And but knowing that he's trying to work all its own, he's trying to augment, not trying to like run away from things or numb things like he just wants to experience shit. Um, He so Damon Albarn, he goes to Iceland and he like loves it. He just has a great time and he tells Alex, come to Iceland. So Alex (laughs) goes to Iceland um, and then he, he somehow immediately finds himself riding a white horse at two in the morning on like the, the rocky like cliffs of Iceland. Uh, and he also, he meets this girl named Magnea, Magnea, who's an Icelandic elf. Um, that, aren't, they, aren't they all? Aren't they all? Um, just like immediately falls in love so with So they her. were way ahead of the curve on making Iceland cool. Yeah. They they had the Iceland Icelandic tourism before that was a yeah. thing. Um, and so he has like a little fling with Magnea. Uh, the next time he goes to Iceland, she sends 150 Hell's Angels to escort them from the airport to Reykjavik. Like, I don't know what this person's doing. 150 Hell's Angels? What is the the ratio in Icelandic population of Hell's Angels to normal citizens? I assume either that must be all of them or most people might be be Hell's Angels affiliated. Just like kind of a quaint dad activity there. I mean, also, how how often do you get to ride a motorcycle in Iceland, like weather permitting? I guess any day. Yeah. I guess they they would be like any day is a motorcycle day. Yeah. If you put your mind to it and if you have the the weathered uh, endurance to harsh Northern sea uh, lifestyle of your typical Icelander. Um, (laughs) Yes. He, he parties incredibly hard throughout kind of the mid nineties. He said one night at his favorite bar in London, whom's among us. Um, Why not his favorite bar, which is called the Groucho. He said, I got talking to a man who said he had a 20,000 year old flute. (laughs) And so he went with the man to go see the 20,000-year-old flute. This guy so collected ancient musical in instruments. in a bar, and some stranger was like, hey, you want to see my 20,000-year-old flute? And he's like, yes. Yeah. 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 I do. <laughs> <laughs> right. What? I mean, that that's, you know, not, not to be this guy, but that's male privilege in a nutshell, because if a guy came up to me at a bar and asked me to see his 20,000-year-old flute, I would run out of the room screaming. What if a woman came up to you and asked to see her 20,000-year-old flute? I would be super down. Okay, great. <laughs> I would be so down. Um, another night at Soho House, uh, Alex somehow ends up next to Johnny Depp at the bar, and Johnny Depp was very unhappy and poured a pint of Guinness on my lap. <laughs> There's no other explanation. There's no context for this. It seems like a, a, a book full of these kind of narrative Just, dead ends. Yeah, these little nuggets. Um, he starts getting into absinthe. Uh, <laughs> sure. He says that unlike, he said usually being uh, drunk enough to empty my bladder all over a girl's dressing table would make you unconscious, but with absinthe, you go on expeditions. <laughs> I don't know how much how much absinthe you drank in your life. I feel like there was a period where people were like trying to make absinthe cool again, but then there was like a a kind of never settled for me debate about whether or not it was quote unquote real absinthe with the wormwood or if it was something that, you know, was just like absinthe flavored, you know, I don't know. I, I, I went, I got one of those chandelier things where they put the absinthe in it and it has the little spigots and you put it over the sugar cube and the fire and stuff. You had, you had that. Yeah, but I don't know. I didn't fucking hallucinate or anything. It was fine. It's absinthe. It got me drunk. It was whatever <laughs> rated. I, I give it a grade of rated. It's rated. Yeah. I don't I, tastes pretty good though. 
I, I feel like I never was able to drink enough of it to have an effect other than like, ah, I'm drinking absinthe right now. Maybe it's sort of a... a ah, a, a wonderful floral absinthe. Mm, yes, I too appreciate the finer things in life. <laughs> I wonder if absinthe is sort of a a pre for loco and just like <laughs> it's got a particular flavor. It's got a particular color and like, yes. it kind of puts you on a different plane. At least it did to Alex James. An expedition. He said, I, I mean, that's a good, <laughs> that is a good comparison because when I think of a booze that puts me on an expedition, it's a four loco. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you're, you're not, you don't get to stop. You're not, your journey's not punctuated no, no, by no. bed and unconsciousness. Yes. A four, cracking open and, and completing a four loco is, uh, is merging onto the highway. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, of this sort of time period, Alex says, I thought as a rock star, I owed it to people to enjoy myself to the absolute limit. He is the avatar of their delight. Sure I think is. that that's a healthy attitude for a rock star. Yeah. He seems extremely adjusted to his, uh, his place in the world. Yeah. And it, he, it's, I don't think he's hyper aware of like the cautionary tales of other rock stars, but he is aware, or maybe he is and he just doesn't say it, but he is aware of like what a rock star is supposed to be and sort of puts it on as a very well fitting costume. But he also just seems like a normal dude. Like, I don't sounds fucking great. He's got, I think he has an ego cause he's, I should be said that all these boys in blur are like very good looking. Like they're very cute British boys with good haircuts, but like he, I don't think he is yeah, ever so self. We were commenting before he starts. He's puffing. kind of got the emo swoop before that was a thing. He's like a scene kid. Yeah. Oh, scene kids. Mm. <laughs> oh, how wonderful it must have been to be a cute British boy in a Brit pop band in London in 1995. And toss your hair back and forth. Like a pendulum. <laughs> um, they record another album, Blur. That's their name. And that's the name of the album. It's a self-titled album. I always feel like this is kind of a uh, the sign of a band running out of steam. Yeah. What makes people want to name their album? I mean, you know who did it? It's Beyonce. <laughs> what, what, I guess. Well, where do you go from there, you know? Yeah. You put out, what, three or four albums that are called Other Things, and you're like, now I will name my album Molly O'Brien. And then you have to put out more albums after that as if, like, that was just the album that was the singular encompass- encompassment. Encompassing? Encompassment. <laughs> That was the album that was the single encompassment of me and my entire self and identity in one musical text. Yes. And now I'm just going to put out another one after it. Called uh, Happy, Happy Happy Things. Happy Time. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, this song, this one has song two on it, so. Sure does. It is not a, uh, a, a musical tapering off. No. Oh, are we oh sorry. I thought you were putting it on. <laughs> I was waiting for the, the jun 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 juns. The jun Oh, this sounds like a nice little. It's good. It's good to start with a chorus. Also, a little, little soft, loud, soft Pixies style. This is a, this is kind of a, a Pixies uh, uh, influence. See, you. Uh, we were talking about this song previously and about how it would be a fairly, the idea that it might be a fairly easy song to cover, but it's because it's so simple. It's all in the tone. Yes. Like it's just so massive when that when that uh, chorus kicks in. 
you gotta be you gotta be good at what you're doing to do it. Yeah, you do. Well, it's funny you do, or you might just have to be lucky. They wrote this song in 15 minutes. Sure, sounds like it. Um, that the guitar is actually a distorted bass. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a bass run through a an amp with an effect on it. And the reason that they did that is because they were sitting around the studio and a guitar had yet to be delivered to the studio. They were waiting on a piece of equipment and they just came up with this. So there's craft, certainly. And this is the result of a band really hitting their stride after playing together for like eight years or something. Yeah, where you can just toss together a song that becomes an international number one smash hit. You shit, yeah, you can, at this point, they kind of shit them out. But then again, it speaks to the thing they were saying earlier is like one of the strengths of Blur is that this song is like kind of silly and stupid. It is very stupid. But that you when you when you can pull it off with this kind of confidence, you can do a 2-minute song that just like fades in or that just hits with those woohoos. Yeah. Very understated. Yeah. You know. Uh I mean it's like Alex it's said that he had a joke song. He hadn't gone to sleep the night before. Oh. So he's probably tired when he recorded this too. <laughs> Um, here's where things take a little bit of a zag. Um, maybe not a huge zag, but you remember Alex says he's into astronomy. Yes. He meets a guy. Well, he decides he wants to go to Mars. Um, he's like very, very down with the concept of like, we, you know, in however many years we went from not flying to flying planes to going to the moon. So Mars is like a possibility in our lifetimes, perhaps. Um, so he ends up sort of like, he doesn't say this outright, but I assume that there is money exchanged. He, he gives money and sort of collaborates with this guy, a scientist named Colin Pillinger, uh, a British scientist Yes, of course. who ends up with a name like that. With a name like that. It's gotta be good. Um, and he, he, he is planning, a an expedition to Mars with a British Mars lander named Beagle two. I've heard, yeah, the Beagle, because the Beagle's Darwin ship, so that would be a good thing to name. I knew that that, that had some connection there. Ah, and I think the whole point was, this. so this is in like uh, 97 maybe? Yeah, and they absolutely got it done. Well, well uh, I mean, kind of. They knew that in 2003, Mars was going to be very close. Yes. And so it was like, we're going to do this in 2003. Um, so this is sort of like a through line through the second half of the book. Um a uh, spoiler alert they send the lander to mars and they never get a uh, like response back from it they like the mission is lost unfortunately uh, you know why this is relevant yes uh because this summer mars will again be the closest it comes every 15 years okay well there you go yeah so if you're planning on la- launching any uh trips to mars now would be the time to do it or if any there's any alt rock bassists who are interested in funding a, a zany British astronomers quest, mission, yes. Uh, he the yeah, this send, scientist is like Elon Musk away. and uh, send your base to Mars instead of your stupid fucking roadster party on Mars. Yeah, I want to um, be the first person to send a bass guitar to Mars. <laughs> Just alone. Yeah. So, but what is a bass guitar with no one to play it? Well, somebody's gonna find it someday, and they're gonna know what to do. The, the rhythm is instinctive. Yeah. Yeah. That low end. It's, it just, it, it flows through all language. of us. Yeah. I'm going to send one of those Voyager discs, uh, into deep space. Uh, but it's just a picture of a bass guitar and some bass tablature on it. Hell yeah. 
Um, he says on scientists, he says, at the best of times, it's difficult to tell the difference between madmen and geniuses. So sage. It is sage because you don't know when people are going to be like wacky randos or discover something important. It's true. So he 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 hedged his bets, um, and they went for it. And who who knows if that uh, lander had actually gotten there, and it turned out to be the uh, the first step in uh you know establishing a permanent residency for human life on Mars, and then in a millennia. You have to be like, why is this? Why is our Martian village called a Jamestown, Daddy? And you're like, <laughs> there. Well, in the nineties, in the nineteen hundred and nineties, there was a British rock band called Blur. <laughs> Jamestown. <laughs> it, it all repeats itself. Uh, now, now rise for our our world anthem. <laughs> <laughs> you could do worse. Yes, I yeah, know no, that would not be a bad. To be a, a great anthem and speaking of anthems let's keep going um i should just denote at this point it really does sound like blur has made quite quite a lot of money yeah and so these boys are just figuring out like ways to spend it Mm -hmm. um and also just like sending mars landers sending shit to mars i mean as much as i want to shit on jeff bezos for saying that he has so much money that the only thing he can think to do is explore space with it I think for somebody like Bezos, who um, makes his money by uh, exploiting uh, labor and work in the United States, uh, you should, if you can't think of anything to do with your money, uh, we should expropriate it back from you. Yes. uh, Immediately. Yes. But if you are a uh, person who has made your money by delighting millions with your rambunctious rock and roll style, then maybe you can uh, support space. And hasn't exploited anyone. Yes. To my knowledge. Uh, so I what I am proposing is uh, capitalists uh, can have their money stolen or stolen back from them. Their yes. stolen money stolen back from them. Fair game. Rock stars can run our space agencies. I think that sounds good. Think about how much cooler our space programs would be. I feel like Bono would do a great job at a, at a space exploration role. Yes. Just like bringing the right flavor of democracy to other, <laughs> like I think he would play very well with aliens. I mean, he clearly, I see what you're saying because he clearly does appreciate like uh, uh, performing civic tasks. Yes. Uh, maybe just just put it to something uh, grand and imaginative. Yes, I saw I saw the way Ireland was when I was a <laughs> child, and I never want that to happen again. So what we're doing is we're taking Ireland and sending it to space. <laughs> All we can, of Ireland. <laughs> we can know where it will no longer be oppressed by our cruel uh, British overlords. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, anthems. Um, Alex, uh, anthems and money. Alex wants to write a send up of a footballer anthem. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know a ton about this. I'm sure there's people. I mean, we, you know, I feel like this is a this is one for our former guest Ben Furkey, who I think is a big football fan. Yes, um, we are in World Cup times. This is relevant. Um, everyone has their soccer chant. I'm sorry. I'm just going to call it soccer because I'm not like an asshole. Yeah, uh, that, that's how I grew up with it. Sorry, dudes. Um, every every club or whatever has their like football chance soccer chance yes do you want to pull one up like yeah maybe like there's like the a compilation of arsenal uh crowd the field yeah or uh the crown never nods not to chelsea yes can you can you find something like that so yeah uh he wants alex wants to write like a send up like a parody almost of a football anthem mm-hmm. a soccer anthem a soccer anthem um 
So this is to uh, to give an example. This is Arsenal's uh, "We're on Your Side." I mean, all this shit is just like, all I can think of hearing about this is like the exact kind of shit that Monty Python were parroting. You know, this is like that that corny mid-century, yes. like stiff upper lip Every British formal. Every sperm is sacred. Yeah. Yes. Well, very stern and haughty British men. But it's funny because like this arrangement is so upright and crisp and sharp, yeah. but with the way it's actually sung is in a stadium full of 20,000 people who are drunk people. so drunk being like, oh, yeah. well, yeah. it's, it's also the, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the contrast between this like weird obsession of like formal, uh, like, like aristocratic militarism in a nation where like literally everything is pudding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> pudding. Pudding. All we sausages eat you every are day. Pudding. <laughs> Our cakes are pudding too. Yeah. When it comes to meats, we'll eat them in a pudding with me and you. And you. Yeah. That's the, um, that's the the tenor of a a football chant. Um, so he Alex writes a football anthem with Guy Pratt, who is a part time, <laughs> which is an insult for a friend that he said. Yes, uh, he's a he's a Pink Floyd's sometimes bassist, <laughs> and um, the comedian Keith Allen. Are you familiar with this guy? No, it's he's not. Like, that's not in my radar of British comedians. He's like a British comedian dude. Um, I think he's on the the older side. So they all write it together. Um, They call themselves Fat Les. That's the band. So they write this song called Vindaloo. Um, In Vindaloo, they wrote it as a parody, but it ends up becoming a genuine football anthem hit. And I don't really know what to say other than please pull that song up and we will Uh, all experience it. We're getting to it right now. I guess this is perhaps what what you eat after you've had a hard day of footballing. I don't think it has anything. I think it's just a random. Alex James looking like a scene-based snack in this video. Aye. This is like. Where on earth are you from? Who from? This is. Do you put the kettle on? One billion layers of British irony. Yes. They're like sumo wrestlers in whiteface in this video. Wow, this is a incredibly uh, amazing piece of late '90s British cultural ephemera. ephemera. Yes. Have you watched this video, Molly? Yes. That ev- literally everything in this video is some kind of weird, specific British cultural joke. Yes. It's pretty amazing. This also kind of reminds me of like what Austin Powers might have been like if it was actually created by British, British people, people who yes. had like some actual sense of the British culture rather than Mike Myers being like, 
British people, they like, I don't know, uh, being horny. I also appreciate that they pronounce England, 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 when they need to. All right. This is great. So because this looks like something that could be from a British sketch show. Yes. But it's just on this side of Sirius, like all their shit. Yes. And it were like people. It became a, a cult classic. I'm just reading the Wikipedia page for it. Uh, most most of the song consists of the phrase na 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 and the word vindaloo repeated over and over by a mixed group occasionally interspersed with lines such as and we all like vindaloo and we're england we're going to score one more than you um <laughs> so you in soccer. they somehow conned their way into having this be the official song for the 1998 world world cup <laughs> Uh, which uh, really in which was held in france um and wow. this song uh, i'm sure that fucking french soccer fans were fucking pissed about that yeah they're probably not not stoked uh it outsold anything blur had ever done no. this song did <laughs> i'm sure all the other members of blur were thrilled about that yeah um so after vindaloo's success they're like okay let's do something even grander and more ridiculous how about something for christmas and they record the song Jerusalem, which is they were just well, like I mean, they're hitting all the traditional uh, topics of British enjoyment. If they were to do ones after this, I would say doing one about World War Two. Yeah. And candies. Pudding. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes I've ever written is uh, a friend of mine who who went and studied abroad in, in England for a semester and then came back and was like. Because British people like only two things, and that's talking about World War II and chocolate, <laughs> chocolate bars. British British candies are yummy. Is the name of the song "Naughty Christmas"? It's called Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem has five different choirs in it. Uh, Joe Strummer is involved somehow because I guess Alex James hung, hangs out with Joe Strummer at his favorite bar, the Groucho. Um, it, he spends a, an unbelievable amount of money on the recording of this song. Let's hear a little bit. This is yeah, this is a traditional English folk song okay. about when Jesus came to England. Yeah, there are about a thousand people in this room. Yeah. Alex says, I was in tears by halfway through the recording of the first chorus. It was immense. I didn't care if it sold five copies. It's such a beautiful tune, a patriotic pie-in, and a perfect pop song. Well, you'd hope so for 200 grand. Holy shit. So it's just a recording of the traditional pop song, uh, the traditional English song, Jerusalem. Yes, that's it. What a silly thing to do. This would be like uh, uh, if if uh, the basis from the killer's uh, spent $200,000 on a lavish recording of when Johnny comes marching home or something. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, no, it's, it's quite a statement. Um, Blur's still together, but like at this point, Damon has started gorillas. 
and so everyone's kind of like a little it's bit like, doing I'm their a, own I'm thing. A, I'm a bit of an artist, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to be doing this, but what, more art. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just gonna go do it. I'm gonna turn myself into a cartoon. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking, boys, the other day I was thinking, what if we did this, but we we was all cartoons, and so I I went and did it. And now I'm a cartoon. Sorry. <laughs> who I am now. Uh. Also, at this point, so they're Blur still recording albums, but Graham is also sort of drifting away at this point. So the albums are like becoming a bit harder to make and have everyone get on the same page. Like everyone's got their own interests. Sure, you're getting older; it's hard to schedule hangout times. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of interests, Alex decides at this point that he wants to learn how to fly airplanes. Sure, he says he's done organizing orchestras and and choruses. Eating cheese, drinking, doing cocaine, and flying planes. He says, lives are not at risk when you plug in a Fender Precision. <laughs> I needed a challenge. Oh, so he, he rocks a P-Bass. A P-Bass? Yeah. Well, the, the classic uh, two Fender bass models are Precision and Jazz. Ah. Uh, but you can also get a PJ that has both the Precision and the Jazz pickups. So. Mm, mm. Yeah. Ah, I didn't That's, know that. How can you get balls at the same time? Well, you get a PJ. You get, they make them with both the pickups. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Thanks for humoring. This That's has good. been base talk. <laughs> we need a little, little uh, sting for that. Base talk with Chris. Um, they, so yeah, he, he he learns how to fly planes, but he gets like a sort of like low level pilot's license. What? So he can only go up so high? Yeah, like only go up so high. Like quite no, quite literally, yes. Uh, he can like go up so prop, high, prop planes, fly only so, certain like yeah. size planes, whatever. Um, he so he does things like go to how do you pronounce the town of the south of France that has the famous film festival? Con. Is it con? Yeah. Con. Cans. Cans. He goes to Cans. He goes to Cans. Does he fly straight there from Britain? Yeah. Oh God. Doesn't take that long either. He he goes to Cans. Con. He says it's a place that's so luxurious it had a tranquilizing effect. So he spends yeah, his days right. drinking bellinis, uh, God, taking dips in the pool. Amazing life. He says that uh, people, everyone was like passed out by 10 p.m. because you've already just like had too you much. Just relaxed too hard. You went so hard in the relaxation. I want to party more, but I've already just partied too much. So uh, sleepy from all the relaxing I've been doing. So this is kind of like the peak of his excess and indulgence where mm -hmm. he's just living this lifestyle. And so he says, it's funny, but when I look back, I think that that period of my life was the bottom of a pit. I was a morally bankrupt, pissed fatso with a stupid grin and a girlfriend with a murdered heart. Oh God. So he's, he's still with Justine, I guess oh, on no. at this point, but then it's like, it's off for good. So it's funny. Like he, obviously he had a great time but he was not there was no substance yeah he wasn't like fulfilled on an emotional level he also says that he spent a million dollars on champagne and cocaine in the 90s i a mean a million dollars that, that doesn't surprise me i'm more shocked he w was able to estimate to, how much money yes. it also seems like all the drinks are always free but i guess at a certain point well when you have a preference the drinks are free if you uh if you just take what's given to you that's true um, so the, the book kind of ends with Alex not having a full <laughs> on hours. reforming, but he reforms to a degree. So mm -hmm. like there's a, there's a sort of stopping off point. He says the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. <laughs> He's being ironic, of course, all the, yes. all those words are capitalized. Um, so he doesn't, 
he starts exercise. He, he's basically he's gotten a little bit chubby from just drinking so much and eating so much cheese. So he works out with a sprightly Australian mm-hmm. uh, trainer. And then he trains, he focuses on training for his instrument rating, which is like the most hardcore pilot's license you can get. I don't know if that's in England or in the world, but it's basically like you commercial air, some commercial airline pilots can't achieve this level. Like you have to devote your entire life and heart and soul and like a lot of money to, to studying for pl- it. To plane training? Yeah. Great. Go for so it. So he, do- he does that. Um, he also meets a, a young lady named Claire. Uh, they fall in love. Um, he takes her to the desert in Morocco and uh, proposes, and then they get married. Um, so, like, I just feel bad for Justine. Yeah, like, she stuck around for so she long. She weathered a lot and then didn't really work out. He says, ending things with Justine was the benchmark that I measure all other pain against. Oh. So, I feel like she gets her due in that, like, he shouts her out for tolerating so much. It's true. Uh, and for actually Bullshit. inflicting emotional pain. Eventually, if be it being painful for him as well as her, yeah. Um, so yeah, he marries Claire. He actually, as far as I can tell, he seems to stop drinking entirely. So, but he, it's not like a dramatic thing. He just like kind of has had enough. He he stops drinking. He says, "I'm going to stop drinking for a year." Throughout this whole period in the '90s, he says, "I always go one week, one day a week without drinking." All right. So the, it's not like I'm getting drunk every day. It's like I'm getting drunk six days a week and then one day off. And so he's like, "What if I extended to a year?" And he meets Claire during this year. Mm-hmm. And then when the year is done, he's like, "Great, time to start drinking again." But then he recounts this conversation, like he has a conversation with someone about what happens when he starts drinking again. Mm-hmm. And the person's like, what happened next? Well, I remember swapping shirts with the principal dancer of the Royal Ballet Company. Well, then what happened? Then I think I snogged the dog. And what after that? Then I pissed on Claire's head from the fourth story window after we had an argument. So like he, when he starts drinking again, like he, he acts cold turkey back into drinking back into like the kind of excess that just like isn't, isn't as funny anymore when you're like in your early thirties. Yeah. I think he's that age by this time. Um, Claire gets pregnant. Uh, when he, she gives birth, uh, he says, I was down at the business end, gawping and crying. Oh God. <laughs> uh, don't, I just don't want to hear it called the business. end. The business end. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's not the business end until a child's involved. And yeah, then all of a so. sudden it's the business end. <laughs> Uh, and then she has twins. Uh, he says that she got really big. We had fat rapper track suits on standby. <laughs> That's kind of cute. Yes. Um, and then they buy a farm in the British countryside. It goes back to the cheese loving roots. They buy a couple of thousand sheep <laughs> and, and that's his life. He says, uh, and he's talking about his, you know, his, he ends by talking about his amazing sort of country house property. And he says, all happy endings imply gardens. That's just the way it is. Oh. Which is sweet. He's just so steeped in fucking pastoral British bullshit. He's so British. This fucking charmed guy's life. I mean, I'm happy for him. It seems like he had a really good time and nothing bad really happened. He basically hurt one person very badly and then everyone else he basically and Johnny Depp, whatever happened with Johnny Depp. Yeah. Well, it sounds like Johnny Depp was the asshole. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. And we know that we know now. he's the asshole. (laughs) Uh, Man, Uh, Alex James, basis from blurb. How do you uh, So this is one of your favorite books that you've 
read? It's it was very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Just chuckles every page. Chuckles every page. So what it lacks in any kind of real conflict or narrative arc. It makes up in uh in, in goofs and gags. Yeah, it's basically just like you know a bunch of good a bunch of good times and 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 good music. Yeah, some good advice about drinking uh, champagne. He has this great little um oh was I just want to bring I just had pulled up some random quotes uh he had a great joke where blur is in their uh, popular phase and he reads a headline that says blur to pay Santiago despite warnings. I hadn't had any warnings. (laughs) 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 Uh, And then he also at one point says, uh, French people love showing you their cathedrals. He finally does go to to France after blowing off French studies. Yes. Um, he goes to France and everyone is like, look at this cathedral. <laughs> you uh, have you noticed how many cathedrals? <laughs> yeah, we have uh, very much stained glass. <laughs> this, uh, this, this is mine. Notice these uh, flying buttresses on our gothic arches. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's very nice. <laughs> no rosette. You like the rosette? <laughs> oh, we all use it to honor God. Oh, yes, this is what the window that God looks to. <laughs> he judges us very much. <laughs> we love it. Yes, we love to be judged by God. It feels so good. <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway. Uh, Alex James. Before you enter the Palace of Wisdom, you decide if you're ready to rock. Yeah. The ro- you, I mean, not everyone has to travel down the road of excess, but if you do, if you can survive, mm-hmm. the Palace of Wisdom is at the end of it. How do you feel about Blur's music? Did you listen to much of it while you were reading this? No. I mean, I think I I think they're good. It makes sense that they got so big. It was the the 90s were a crazy time. Yeah. It was a time of optimism, a time of, you know, thinking like maybe there won't be any wars anymore except for like just those little wars. <laughs> just, just those little, little baby wars. wars. But like the big wars like I think we're done with those. Yes. Uh, I actually, from this, I, I found that I liked their early stuff. Their, their stuff that reminded me of, of, uh, 80s, like happy Mondays stuff more. Mm-hmm. So that was a good discovery. Yeah. I feel like Britain hasn't been like very central in culture lately ish. I mean, there are oh. pockets. Well, about Stormzy. I do love, you know, Stormzy and uh, hashtag, Skepta. Hashtag murky. Hashtag murky. Yeah, of course. Um, hashtag murky. Yeah, no, there's some, there's definitely some good British artists, but it's not part of like a wave of well, British yeah. artists. But I think that might be just because of the internet just sort of like turns everything into such small fractions. Yeah, it's of hard. To, yeah, it's hard to movements. think of anything as movements. Yeah. I mean, like what came out after this? Like what? The Streets? was like a big thing of Britain from Britain in the aughts. And I remember like Spin Magazine singer. making that a quite a big deal. And then there are always like various singer songwriters who come out of there. Adele. Yeah, Adele. Fucking Ed Sheeran. Sam Smith. Yeah, no. The, it, but those guys aren't are movements. Those are like individual, individual people. Yeah. If there it's were not like a collection of bands. Just a bunch of Ed Sheeran's. Oh, God. Kill me. Sheeran. Sheeran pop. Yeah. Sheer pop. Sheer pop. Oh, gross. I mean, we have that a little bit. He's been, he's pretty influential, but he's, yeah, it's not like a, it's a British thing. Yeah. F- finally, if you're like a weird troll man, you're like, oh, there's room for, uh, for there's room for in pop music for me too. If the, I feel like the rule is if you look like you could play a Lannister on Game of Thrones, like mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested. Look, his eyes are too far apart from each other. <laughs> it's the tattoos for me. 
Uh, the tattoos are extremely bad. Bad tattoos. Very, very bad. bad <sighs> well, let's not get off on a tear about Ed Sheeran yeah. and ruin the the posy vibes. Uh, I think the vibes were the V V pause for Alex James. Um, you know what? And honestly, out of all of these things, for a guy who parties hard, like it's just nice to read about a guy who can kind of handle his shit. You know? Yeah. And like who can very consciously be like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to party hard. I'm going to live a rock star life, but like I'm, I'm in control. Like, yeah. It's not spiraling out or anything. Yeah. And even in, in his moments where he wasn't in control, like he's peeing on some girl's dressing table. Like at least I think he can acknowledge it wasn't a sign of something larger crumbling. It was just him having, having a taking, laugh. taking the piss <laughs> and putting it on someone's, uh, Molly, have you been having a laugh? Uh, I've been having a laugh. I've been having a laugh too. And we hope that you, dear listener, have also been having a laugh. Having a laugh. Here on and introducing. Um, let us then move confidently into the end of this episode after uh, kind of uh, spinning our wheels around Alex James, letting the propeller of his single prop plane that he flew to uh, can uh, you know, spin like that. I don't think I have any business to cover at the end of the episode today, right? I don't, I don't um, think so. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our last. Uh, we got some good response about uh, Hillary's episode and the Lord conspiracy. That was a fun one to do. Yes. Um, hopefully, we'll cover her. You know, we're going to try to balance doing more modern uh, or contemporary stories. Yes. And with some of these older stuff, because it seems like a, a fun counter programming. Um, but until then, uh, I will just encourage you to follow us on Twitter at and IntroPod. Uh, and I'm always, as always, on Twitter at Say What Again. Oh, I, I, I'm on Twitter too at Miss Molly Mary. So follow us as well, or you can send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. And our SoundCloud is, as always, at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro. I was drinking a sip of beer. Just, I'm just awful, just letting you down. Dash. Pod. SoundCloud.com slash <laughs> and dash intro dash pod. And remember oh, no, to subscribe to us on iTunes. You did the dashes for me. And while you're there, you should rate it and review us too. But more importantly, tell a friend. Tell somebody you meet on the street, hey, what's a good podcast? This podcast. Uh, you know, meet uh, uh, girls who like pods. Like girls boys who like pods, who, who like, like boys, who, who like pods. pods, who are pods like they're girls who do boys like they're pods. Yeah. Just tell them all tell about them all. Uh, our very good podcast uh, that you are listening to and enjoying right this very second. Um, yeah. But until then, we might. I think we're staying in Britain for another uh, staying in Britain. for another ep after this. Yeah. Getting to one that. If, if our programming stays as I think it is, uh, one that I've been looking forward to doing since we started. So uh, look forward to my bullshit. Uh, but until then, uh, that's it for this week on And Introducing. Introducing.